Well, good morning. I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, that's 2 Corinthians, not 2 Chronicles. We can thank um, the English language and the Latin editors who decided to call uh, the, those books in the Old Testament the Chronicles uh, for so many people getting mixed up on uh, those two books. But 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is where we're going to be this morning. We have uh, paused our series through the book of Acts. We finished, uh, as I mentioned, uh, at the beginning of our series in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is set up in uh, kind of three parts. There's uh, all set out in Acts uh, 1.8, which is the, um, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And that's kind of a guideline for, for how the book of Acts is set up. It's originally to Jerusalem for the first little section, and then the message spreads to Judea and Samaria, and then the message spreads to the ends of the earth. So there's kind of three distinct sections within the book of Acts. So we have finished the first section, the to Jerusalem. So we're going to put a pause on our study through the book of Acts. Um, we're going to go through this series that we're, um, that we're starting today, uh, calling, uh, which we're calling Catching the Vision. We have now finished our uh, mission statement, our values as a church, and so we just want to talk through those from the Word of God. We want to point uh, to Scripture. We don't want to just say, hey, this is what we should do because this is what it says. Like We, we want to point to the Bible and say this is what we should do because this is what the Word of God says. Uh, and because this is what God has called us to be and to do as a church. And so, um, so that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. We're just going to look through um, the Word of God as we discuss our, our mission statement and our value statements. Uh, and then we'll come back at the beginning of 2022. We'll come back to the book of Acts uh, and, and continue our study through there. Uh, so we're going to begin, as I said, this morning in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be talking today about really the second half of our mission statement, which is uh, our mission statement is we are a family of faith living for eternity today. Um, the family of faith part is going to come out and really our first value, um, and so it will be a little repetitive to, to bring that up again uh, today. So this morning we're going to highlight that second half, living for eternity today. Uh, we can see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. It says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to, th to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the the reminder this morning in worship that you are good. Uh, thank you for the reminder this morning in worship of, of your amazing, abundant grace for us, Father. I pray that those ideas would, would highlight and underscore everything that we're talking about this morning. God, I pray that we can't get those two ideas out of our head. I pray that, that we would be unable to dwell and focus on anything else but the fact that you are amazing, that you are a great God, and that you have an amazing grace for us that you have poured out for us love and a mercy that you constantly give us. Father, we love you and praise you, and we are excited to see what you have for us in your word today. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. There's a question that I want to ask. The question is, what do we live for? What should we live for? And that's a, that's a big question. That's an important question because it's an orientation question. It's a question that, that determines how we function, how we live, how we act. 
Like, we've dealt with big questions before in our lives. Like, should I go to college? Should I go to the military? Should I go straight into the workforce? If I go to college, which college should I go to? If I go to the military, what branch should I enlist in? If I go to the workforce, what career path should I choose? Should I marry this girl or this guy? Should we try for a family? Should I take a promotion and move my family? Should I take a risk and start a business? Should I retire? These are all big questions that keep us awake at night. We've, we understand and we've dealt with big questions. Well, this question is bigger than any of those questions because the answer to the question, what should we live for, determines the answer to all of those big questions that keep us up at night. So the question we want to ask this morning is what should we live for? We live in a culture that prioritizes the physical. We live in a culture that would answer that question with, you need to live for material and emotional wealth. You need to live for material and emotional gain. Because we prioritize what we can see, what we can feel. And that's what, because we live in a culture that prioritizes the physical. So they would answer this question, live for a bigger bank account and cooler toys. Accumulate more stuff. Live for, for achievement. Live for success in your career and whatever you choose to do. Like set aside every, every other goal and live for success. It would say live for uh, self-actualization, right? Find the best you that you can be and go, go live your best life. They would say go, go live life to the fullest. Go have as much fun as you can while you're alive. They would say, go live for your family and give your kids the best lives that they can possibly have. They would say, go live for your legacy. Make sure that people know you. Make sure you've left your mark on people. Make sure people remember you when you're gone. We are a culture that are consumed with the physical. And our goals in life, the things that we want to live for, are all material and emotional goals. They're things that that are set up uh, that we can see and feel and experience. Because we're a culture that's consumed with the physical. So when we ask, what should we live for? That's how our culture generally will answer it. A study that we looked at as the vision team showed that in a five-mile radius of this church, uh, the average household income is 73% higher than the statewide average. 73% higher, and yet the number one stressor on people's lives, the number one thing that kept people up at night, the number one thing they're worried about is their financial future. They, they are most concerned with how they're going to pay their mortgage, how they're going to pay their, for their cars, because we have a culture of people buying houses they can't afford and cars that are out of their price range because they want to live uh, to, to keep up with the people around them. They need to flaunt their success, and they don't want to look like they're less successful than their neighbors, and so they need to buy the nicest house. They need to buy nice cars that they can drive, whether they can afford them or not. And so while the area has uh, a lot of money, and it doesn't take long to, once you move here to notice there's a lot of money here, uh, but when you, while there's a lot of money in the area, people are living beyond their means to try to display their success and keep up with their neighbors. Because we're trying to live for the physical. We're trying to be successful. And the number two stressor, the number two thing that people are stressed about in life in the five-mile radius of this church is dieting. And part of that is probably for health-related reasons, but for, the, for a, a large portion of people, it's because you need to fit the look. 
Like if, you, if you're going to be successful, you've got to fit in uh, and you've got to be in, in good shape. You've got you to keep up with everybody else around you physically. There's a culture that is living for the physical, a culture that is living for material and emotional success and material and emotional gains. Kids in, in this area are, are, seem to be year-round involved in select sports that play all the time, especially on Sundays, it seems, and uh, they play all over the country. Uh, and most kids, it seems like in this area, a lot of kids are, are receiving uh, private support and private training in a sport they're never going to go pro in, uh, statistically speaking. And uh, for a lot of parents, it's because they want to live vicariously through their kids. And they want their kids to be successful relative to other kids so that parents can, can uh, so they can, they can talk their kids up and, and find success through that. Right, well, my kid's batting 400 in Little League, so I'm a proud parent, you know. Uh, there's a need for the physical success. There's a need for the material and emotional success. When we ask the question, what do we live for, so many people in this area are living for the physical, the things that you can see and feel. And experience. And I know it's a, a broad characterization. Not everybody, uh, you know, is, is buying a, a, way too big of a house and way too nice of a car and, and putting their kids in all of these things just to try to live through them. That's not happening all across the board, but, but I'm, I'm painting that picture because the, the data paints that picture. And what I fear is that so many of us have bought into this cultural idea, at least in some parts of our lives, that what we need to live for is physical. What we need to live for is material and emotional success. I mean, if, you, if you browse the library, if you browse most people's personal bookshelves, what you'll see is a lot of books on being the best you. You'll see a lot of books on, on finding your passion and living your passion and being uh, the best version of you that you can be. We have a, a culture of people that are consumed with living for physical, material, and emotional success. The Corinthian church also struggled with a culture of living for physical success. You see, Paul helped to plant the church. He, he started the church. He wrote them letters to try to help them out, um, try to help them thrive and grow. But after he left, these men came into the church who were, who were wealthy. They were well put together. And they came in, and they started putting down Paul and trying to steer the church in a different direction. And what they were saying was, hey, if this good news that Paul is proclaiming, this gospel, if it really is good news, then why is Paul broke? Why is Paul physically weak? Why is Paul suffering and struggling? Why is Paul being, uh, being oppressed and put down? Why are people like Paul dying? If that's really such good news, wouldn't we see some sign of success in Paul? Because they had bought into this idea that success looks like material success and physical success. And so the Corinthian church started buying into this concept that, yeah, maybe they're right. Maybe Paul isn't uh, right. Maybe the gospel isn't correct because uh, this good news is being delivered by someone who's struggling, someone who's being oppressed and put down, uh, being persecuted, who's weak and frail. Uh, maybe they're right. We see that in our culture today talking about the church. Well, the Bible just isn't relevant. The, uh, the, the people of God being part of a local church isn't going to help me get ahead in life. They talk about church 
in a way that they can't be the good news. They can't be the source of life. What they're, what they're offering can't be all that it's cracked up to be because look at it. It's not successful. It doesn't have a, a lot of money. The people that are leading it are not, are, fa- are not fabulously wealthy. People are being put down and oppressed and persecuted for it all around the world. So clearly, it can't be the source of good news and good life because it's not, uh, you know, if I follow the gospel, if I follow what they're teaching, I'm not going to get richer. <laughs> I'm not going to get uh, more material and emotional success. So they put down the church because what they believe we should live for is physical, material, and emotional success. And so many of us who even stay in church have that idea ingrained in our minds, and so we begin to build a wall around church in our life, where we have the Christian things and then we have our real life. Where we check off the box on Sundays so that we can get into heaven, but then we go live our other life, you know, our, our real life, the rest of the week, Monday through Saturday, where we can, we can do the Christian thing on Sunday and make sure that we get into heaven, but Monday through Saturday, I'm going to make sure I get ahead in life. And I go live for the things that I'm supposed to live for, like money and material and emotional success. And so if we honestly answered the question, what should we live for, and we evaluated our lives, and we looked at what we're actually living for, so many of us are living for the physical. But that's not how Paul answers the question. In, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is answering the question, what should we live for? And he starts out by responding to the objections. He starts out by responding to the arguments brought up by those well-put-together, well wealthy religious teachers. And look with me in verse 1 of, chapter, of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul says in verse 1, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open, by the open statements of the truth, we would, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So what Paul begins by saying is we have a ministry. Paul's talking about himself. He's talking about his, his traveling companions. He's saying we have a ministry. Now, if you go back a few verses into chapter 3, you'll see what that ministry is. What he's talking about is a ministry of pointing people to the glory of God. It's a ministry of opening people's eyes and revealing to people just how glorious and how incredible God is so that people are coming to the knowledge and the understanding of, of the glory of God. That's their ministry, is to direct people's gaze, direct people's attention and worship to God. They have that ministry. And Paul goes on to say, the way we do that ministry is not by underhanded, cunning, manipulative tactics. The way we do that ministry is by proclaiming the truth. Because these religious leaders who were coming in, who were wealthy, who were well put together, they weren't bringing the gospel. What they were bringing was a tailor-made message to their audience. What they were bringing was a message that they thought their audience wanted to hear. And so they'd come in, they'd present that message, that good news, that, 
that the audience wanted to hear, and then they'd get money from the audience, and then they'd leave, and they'd go to another town. That's why they're wealthy. That's why they're well put together, is because they come in with a false gospel. They come in with a, a ready-made, tailor-made religious argument that their audience already wants to hear, and they give it to them, and then they get money, and then they leave. Paul says, if I wanted to be materially successful, if I wanted to live for the physical, we would come in with these cunning, underhand, and manipulative tactics, and I would get so many conversions. Right? If I came in and I told people exactly what they wanted to hear, we could grow a church like crazy. Paul's saying, if I wanted to be emotionally and physically successful, man, I could do it. We could come in with these cunning, underhand, and manipulative tactics like these rich uh, uh, wealthy men, well-put-together men that were coming into the Corinthian church. And we see it all the time today. People come in and they don't preach the gospel. They don't preach the word of God. They come in and they teach a message that the audience wants to hear. They teach a message like, hey, you're good enough. We just need to find the good part in you and let that come out. That's not the gospel, but that's a tailor-made message to what the audience wants to hear. And that, that's a message that'll preach, you know, if you want material success. <laughs> they, they preach things like, like the innate goodness of mankind. They preach things like, like how great you are and how, how you just need to reach your success. Like these, these uh, motivational speakers, they come in and try to bring out the best in mankind. And what you'll see is physical success, right? You'll see material success for the preacher, and then you'll see some amount of emotional success for their audience, right? They feel better. They're a little more excited to go to work. They're a little bit, they enjoy their work a little bit more. They, they have this emotional high from these motivational messages that eventually will wear off down the road. But for now, they see this emotional success, and Paul's saying, I could do that. I could have these cunning, underhanded, manipulative tactics. I could tailor-make a message, and I could give it to you and have all the trappings of success. I could look like I'm successful physically if that's what I wanted to live for, but that's not my ministry. My ministry is to point people to the glory of God and to reveal to people just how good God is so that my audience and the people that are listening can can come to the realization that God is holy, that God is gracious, that God is loving, and that God is glorious. That's what I want my audience to know. And so the way that I go about proclaiming that is not by some tailor-made message that they're going to hear, but by proclaiming the word of God. It's by opening up what God has already revealed to himself and proclaiming it to the people so that they can hear the goodness and the graciousness of God. It's the truth of the word of God that is proclaimed by Paul in order to, to accomplish his mission of pointing people to the glory of God. And we see what Paul says uh, in the following verses. He says if, if they don't get it, if they, if they choose not to follow, if they choose to reject the message, that's, that's not on me. My job is not to be material and physically and emotionally successful. My, God is to, my job is to point people to the glory of God. And if they reject the message, it's because the enemy of God has veiled their eyes. The enemy of God has blinded their hearts. And they're refusing to see the glory of God in Christ Jesus. And that's on them. And we pray for them. And we continue to preach the gospel. But if I'm not materially successful, if I'm not physically successful, while I'm still preaching the gospel, then I've done my job. Because the only thing that's going to point people to the goodness of God is the word of God. 
The only thing that's going to point people to the glory of God is the word of God. There's no underhanded manipulative tactic that's going to do it. So they bring in and they continue to preach the word of God. And specifically, what we see that they preach in verse 5, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for, your, uh, for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let the light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He's saying God has revealed to us just how good he is. He has shown in our hearts and revealed to us his glory. He has shown us his love and his grace. And the way that we convey that to other people is the message of the gospel. By talking about and proclaiming Christ Jesus as Lord. The way that we know how great God is is by God's revelation of himself to us. What we see in the word of God is that God is a creator. And he created all things, that he has all authority and all power and all, uh, all glory and all honor and worship and praise are due him because he's God. He is, he's all-powerful, he's all-knowing, he's over all things. So there's a creator who's God, and then there's everything else, and that's creatures, <laughs> and that's, that's us. And what we see in the word of God and what we see in our own lives is that we have rebelled against him that we have rejected his rule, that we have refused to give God the worship and the praise and the honor that he's due. And we have made ourselves little gods. We have made ourselves kings of our own little kingdom, masters of our own fate. And we've tried to usurp God's authority in our life. And so instead of giving God the glory and the honor and praise that he's due, we have given ourselves glory and ourselves honor and ourselves praise. And as a result of that, we see that God is a holy righteous God, and he cannot tolerate sinfulness. He cannot tolerate rebellion. And so as a result of our sinfulness, as a result of our rebellion, we are destined to spend an eternity separated from God in hell, and that's what we deserve. Because we've rebelled against the almighty creator, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who cares for us. We've rebelled against him and made ourselves our own gods. But the beautiful message of the gospel is that even when we rebelled against God, even when we sinned against him, even when we don't deserve a single ounce of goodness or love from God, he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. Jesus Christ, who's fully God and fully man, he came to earth, he lived a perfect life, and he died on a cross for you and me so that we wouldn't have to die. He died as a a sacrifice for us so that we could have a restored relationship with God. So that we could once again enjoy enjoy God. We could once again receive peace and satisfaction and life from the creator and return to him the glory and the honor and praise that he's due. Jesus made it possible. And we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But by the grace of God, he sent Jesus to die as a sacrifice for us, so we could have that restored relationship with God. That's the beautiful message of the gospel, and that's what Paul is proclaiming. He's saying that Jesus Christ has come to restore our relationship with God, and Jesus Christ is coming again to fix all brokenness and put put away and put an end to all brokenness and evil and wickedness in this world, that he's coming back. And that's the message that he's proclaiming, and it's in the gospel that we have our eyes open and we can begin to see the glory of God.
We know the love and the mercy and the grace of God because we see it in Jesus who died on a cross for us. Paul says, we have had the light of the gospel, this, this beautiful good news. We've had it, we've had it uh, revealed to us in our hearts. We've, we've had the light shine in our hearts and we've begun to see just how good God is in Christ Jesus. And we have this ministry of proclaiming that message to point people to the goodness and the glory of God. But we see in verse 7, this crazy juxtaposition. Verse 7, it says, We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So Paul says, this beautiful treasure, this glorious good news about the glory of God and, and the love and the mercy and the grace of God in Christ Jesus, we carry that message in just simple jars of clay. Fallible, broken human bodies. Bodies that are, that are one step closer to death every step that we take. Bodies that are corrupted, minds that are uh, completely unable to fathom the fullness of the glory of God because we're limited by time and space and, and our extremely limited capacity to understand things. And yet in, in this jar of clay, we hold the beautiful treasure of the glory of God and the goodness of God in the gospel message. And Paul says we have been persecuted. We have been, uh, like he's agreeing with, the, with the, these wealthy, well-put-together men who've come in the Corinthian church. He's like, yeah, they're right. We're struggling. Like, look at verse 8. We are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. Uh, we are struck down. He's saying we, we have been beaten. We have been abused. We have been, uh, we've been perplexed, like we, not knowing where to go forward, uh, having obstacles placed against us. Some of us have been killed. So, yeah, if we're living for, for material success, if we're living for the physical, then we're failures. Because physically, we are struggling. Physically, we are suffering and dying. And emotionally, we're confused. We're perplexed. So if we're living for the physical, yeah, we're struggling. But Paul says that's not what we're living for. What we're living for is to point people to the glory of God. Verse 10, always carrying in the body, in this body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We are, we are walking around as people who are experiencing oppression and death similar to the way that Jesus experienced oppression and death and we're experiencing that day in and day out and we're doing it so that other people can begin to see the life that comes from Jesus Christ because our goal is not physical success our goal is not to live for the physical our goal is to live for the eternal to point people to the goodness and the glory of God he goes on in verse 11 we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. What Paul says is, hey, Corinthian church, I'm suffering, I'm struggling, I'm weak and frail and abused, and I'm doing it all so that you can know the glory of God. I'm doing it all 
and I'm suffering all of that, and I'm struggling with all of the, the outward physical pain and the, the suffering and the struggling. I'm going through all of it so that you, as the Corinthian church, can begin to see just how good God is, so that you, the Corinthian church, can begin to see life that comes from Jesus. We're doing it so that we, we can proclaim the gospel message to you. So we see when we go on in verse 13, since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that his grace extends to more and more people and may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So Paul quotes a psalm, Psalm 116, and it's a psalm where the guy, uh, the psalmist is crying out. He's, he's suffering. He's struggling. And it says in Psalm 116, I believe and so I speak. What he's, what he's saying is the things that I believe are influencing the things that I'm saying. And what Paul says is we, we have the same faith. We, I'm on the same page there. We believe in Jesus. We believe that we've encountered and seen the glory of God, and it's that glory, and it's that goodness, and it's that mercy and love and grace that is influencing the things that I'm speaking. It is the, the things that I believe that are influencing the things that I'm doing. And I'm doing it all. I'm proclaiming the gospel. I'm suffering and struggling physically, but, per, but proclaiming the gospel because there will be a resurrection. There is eternal life, and we will spend forever in the presence of God. There will be a day where we will stand in the presence of Christ, presumably uh, in the text, stand in the presence of Christ for judgment. We will stand before Christ, and he will judge us based on our deeds. He will judge us based on our life, and either we will be eternally separated from God in hell, or we will spend forever in the presence of God, and the way that we're going to spend forever in the presence of God is by the blood of Jesus covering over us if we have placed our faith and our trust and our hope in him. And so Paul says, I continue to speak the gospel. I continue to point people to the glory of God regardless of what I'm going through physically because there will be a resurrection and every single one of us will stand before God. And he says, my goal is that more and more people would experience the grace of God. And so more and more people would extend thanksgiving and praise and honor to God. And more and more people would glorify God. And so I continue. Through the suffering, through the struggling, I continue to proclaim the gospel. So more and more people can come to know Jesus and begin to glorify God. So that on the day when the resurrection comes, we're standing before God, more and more of us can enter into eternal life. More and more of us can stand before God and offer praises of thanksgiving because we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And what Paul says he and his companions are doing, he then begins to extend to the rest of the Corinthian church and by extension to the rest of believers in the following verses. And what we're going to see so when Paul answers the question, what should we live for? He answers it in the way that, uh, that we have outlined in our mission statement. We should live for eternity today. What should we as Christians, as believers, live for? We need to live for eternity today. Look with me in verse 16. There are two reasons we need to live for eternity, to, uh, eternity today. Number one. It's because the physical is temporary. 
the physical is temporary. Look with me in verse 16. So we don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away. Look with me in verse 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The physical is temporary. The things that we can see, the things that we can touch and feel, the, the, the emotions that we feel, all of those things are temporary. Not one of those things are going with us. <laughs> Not one of those things is going to last forever. I think about our bank accounts. There will be a day when we will be resurrected and stand before God for judgment, and not one of us will be carrying our bank statements with us. God will not be standing there like a glorified accountant wondering whether we have enough money to pay our way in. And so the money that we've made, the bank account that we've garnered, the, 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 the possessions and the toys and the things that we've achieved, none of those things are coming with us. It's like the parable that Jesus tells of a guy who, who has a field and it makes so much weed. It, it, it's so successful that he decides he's going to build a bigger silo. So he, he goes and he builds an even bigger silo to hold even more wheat. But then the day that they fill the silo, he dies. And Jesus says, what a, what a fool. Because he couldn't take any of that with him. And so he was so focused on building up and storing up and gaining for himself. And he did all of that. For nothing. The, the physical, the things that we see are temporary. Our achievements, if we are, if we are really good at our job and we get to the, the best of the best, maybe if we're lucky, people will talk about our achievements a few decades after we're gone. But none of us is going to stand before God on Judgment Day with a resume of our accomplishments. God is not impressed. He created the world. He's not impressed with how successful we are in the business world. So our achievements in our career, our achievements in our life are nothing in light of all of eternity. The fun that we have is temporary. If we enjoy life, none of us are going to be standing before God on judgment day, standing before God and, and God's not going to ask a single one of us, hey, did you enjoy it? Did you have a fun life? Did you live it to the fullest? He's not going to ask a single one of us that the joy and the fun that we have in this life is temporary, it's fleeting. We know that even in our life. The fun that we have in one moment doesn't carry on to the next for very long. Those feelings of fun and enjoyment, that's, those are temporary. Our families are temporary. None of us are going to be linking arm in arm with our families, getting in together or getting rejected together before the judgment seat of God. Either we have been covered by the blood of the Lamb or we haven't. So the, the, the good emotional bonds that we have as a family and the good times that we have, those are all temporary. Now notice, the passage doesn't say that those things are bad. It doesn't say that the physical is evil or the physical is bad. That, that leads us down a really strange dualism, a, a path of dualism, where we say, well, everything physical is bad, everything spiritual is good, and so we try to avoid everything physical. That's not at all what the passage says. Those physical things can be good. Money can be a great tool. 
God is not oblivious to economics. He knows we need resources. He knows we need possessions. Any money and possessions that we do have is a gift of God. Our families are great. They can be godly, uplifting, powerful uh, in our lives. The, the, our relationship with our spouses, our relationship with our children, those can be great godly uh, relationships, but they're still temporary. The fun that we have, the vacations we take, the hobbies that we enjoy, those things can be great gifts of God, but they're all temporary. And so the goal of our life cannot be to live for those things because every single one of those things are passing away. If the things that you're living for are going to pass away when heaven and earth pass away, then you've set your goals way too low. If when the resurrection happens and all of heaven and earth are melted away and they're done away with, if everything you built your life on is done away with with it, then what do you have left to stand on? The goal of our life cannot be to live for the physical because the physical is temporary. The second, we, second thing we see is that the glory of God is eternal. The glory of God is eternal. Look with me in verse 16. We don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Things that we can't behold, the things that we can't touch, the things that we can't feel. The spiritual realm, those things are going to be around forever. Those are the things that are going to matter forever. And all of the spiritual realm is supposed to be ordered and organized along with the physical realm. It's supposed to be ordered and organized for the glory of God. So only the things that are ordered and organized for the glory of God are the things that are going to be lasting forever. What Paul says is that this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What Paul's saying there is, yeah, we're being persecuted. The things that we saw Paul say earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 are not things we would consider light, right? Persecution. Some people are being beaten and abused. Some people are being put to death. Those are not light afflictions. Like, I would consider maybe someone blowing off a conversation like a light affliction. But Paul is being persecuted, and, and, and his friends, and eventually him, they, they're dying for this faith. But he says this is a light, momentary affliction, not, making, not, not minimizing what he's going through. We'll see it in other places. He says it's, it's tough. There are times in the New Testament where Paul says, I'd rather be dead than going through what I'm going through. He's not minimizing it all, but what he's saying is if I have in this hand all of the affliction and all of the things I'm going through, and I compare it to just how great eternal life with God is, then all of this is light by comparison. All of this is temporary and momentary. What I'm looking forward to is an eternity where I am enjoying the presence of God and returning to him all the glory and honor and praise. And so all these things that I'm going through today are just preparing us for how great eternity is going to be. Things that are 
physical, the things we can see and feel and experience, those things are temporary. The glory of God is eternal. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, written uh, a little bit after um, the start of the Reformation, says, what is the chief end of man? It's a question. And the, the answer it gives is that the chief end of man, our, our main goal is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Because that's what we'll be doing for all of eternity. It's in the presence of God, glorifying God, worshiping him, praising him, and enjoying our experience in the presence of God. There will be a day when we're resurrected. And we'll be given new bodies and a new earth. Again, the physical is not bad. We are meant to be both physical and spiritual beings, but there will be a day when we'll have new bodies uh, and a new heaven and a new earth. And if we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb, we're going to spend forever enjoying the glory of God, giving and returning to him all the glory and honor and praise that he's due. And that's what we need to live for today. We need to live for the glory of God while our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day, praising and honoring and glorifying God. And so our lives need to be lived in a way that are pointing people to just how good God is. What would it look like for us to be a church that is living for eternity today? What would it look like if we evaluated our possessions and our toys and we decided that we could live on less if it meant doing more for the kingdom of God? What would it look like if we, if we started sending more missionaries out to places that have never heard the gospel? What would it look like if we started raising up and training pastors and church planners and church revitalizers and sending them out to have a multiplying impact on the kingdom of God? What would it look like if we started meeting people's physical needs so we can show them how the gospel mobilizes us to love other people? What would it look like if we stopped viewing our vacations and our hobbies as things to find as a source of enjoyment? And if we started viewing our vacations and our hobbies as beautiful gifts of God to be enjoyed for the glory of God? What if we stopped viewing our careers as a measure of success? We stopped viewing our careers and making career choices based on whether or not they're going to get us forward and help us achieve physical success and we started viewing and making career decisions based on whether or not they're going to glorify God. We make moves and we, we, we take jobs based on whether or not we're going to glorify God where we are. What if we stopped viewing our kids as people that we can live vicariously through and we start viewing kids uh, with gospel mindsets and we start teaching our kids about Jesus and, and helping them grow into the image of Christ? What would it look like if we stopped looking for our spouse to be a source of satisfaction and joy and life in this world and we started recognizing that we were loved and cared for by the Creator? We start pointing our spouse and pointing each other to the glory and the love of God and reminding them daily just how much they're loved for and cared for by God. What would it look like to be a people that are living for eternity today? To be a people that are not distracted by the temporary. To be a people whose eyes are transfixed on the glory of God. What would that look like for us? This morning, every single one of us has some things in our lives that are distracting. 
We have some areas in our lives where, where if we were honestly asked, what, are, what should we live for? What are we living for? We might be able to say, well, I'm living for God, but also there's a part of me that's living for this. <laughs> Success, achievement, enjoyment, whatever it is. I'm living for God, but also this physical thing. In a moment, we're going to pray. And as I pray, why don't you just lift up those things to God? Ask God to reveal the things in your life that are distracting you from living for eternity. And then give those over to the Lord. Some of you this morning have never placed your faith in Jesus. You have never experienced the glory and the goodness of God. You've never had your gaze transfixed on just how good and glorious God is. And you've never been covered by the blood of Jesus. And you know that when you stand before God on Judgment Day, you know that you will not spend forever in the presence of God, enjoying him forever. Because you're not covered by the blood of the Lamb. This morning, I would love to have the opportunity to talk to you about what it means to place your faith in Jesus. To enter into new life, to find the joy and satisfaction that comes from a life lived for the glory of God. So if that's you, after we pray, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to be standing right here. If you want to know more about what it means to follow Jesus, to place your faith in him, come talk to me. I'd love to pray with you and then talk with you quickly after the service. Every single one of us has a, a duty, a change that needs to be made to be a church that lives for eternity today. What's yours? What are you living for? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, transfix our eyes on eternity. Lift our eyes up from this temporary world. Help us not to get distracted by these, these physical things, the things that we can see and feel and experience, because it's easy to get distracted by them, because they're right here. Father, I pray that we would transfix our eyes on you, to lift up our eyes to see just how glorious and mighty and powerful and loving and gracious you are. love you. And we want to be a church that's living for eternity today, boldly proclaiming the gospel so more and more people can, can experience the grace that you provide and more and more people can stand before the throne on Judgment Day worshiping and praising and thanking you for your grace and your love. Father, help us to be a church that is focused on you living for eternity today. Pray, Father, for those who've never placed their faith in you. I pray today would be the day that they get a taste of just how good you are. That today would be the day when you shine a light in their hearts to understand and know your glory and grace in Christ Jesus. Father, we love you and praise you. And it's in the holy, perfect, precious name of Jesus that we pray.